Adventures of an Indian Techie, written by Nipun Varma, narrated by Richam Hindiratta. Disclaimer: This is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to any person or firm is purely coincidental. No techies were harmed while writing this book. However, the same cannot be guaranteed once this book is out. Dedication to the lady whom I fondly call Sumi for putting up with me. Acknowledgments. Many thanks to my mentor Shri Kumar Pillai for triggering the creative outburst in me. Heartfelt thanks to my buddy Renju Raj for the wacky illustrations. Hugs to my friends and colleagues for their support. Introduction. The word techie is too generic. Who said all techies have something to do with the technology? Welcome to the world of Indian techies. Here you will find two different species. the 1916 techies who are the real deal the hardcore techie brats who eat sleep and breathe technology on the other side there is the one gram techie the ones who are in the world of it just to earn a living for them this is just another job and technology is something that will help them earn their bread and butter there's a special case of being technologists instead of technologists You might ask if technology is not their passion why are they here they simply followed the crowd in india you never even get an opportunity to realize where your passion lies follow your heart mantra is only seen in three idiot movie or in self help books that help no one except the writer here the moment you're born designations are assigned to you he looks like his father only na let us make him an engineer branded engineer to be one more life gone burst hey so cute my dear princess you will become a doctor branded doctor to be many more lives about to go burst god save the patients see your kundli is ready the moment you crawl out of your mom's womb or even before that after all we indians are so proactive see your kundli is ready the moment you crawl out of your mom's womb or even before that After all, we Indians are so proactive. This is the story of a one gram techie. Yes, the quintessential mama's boy who faithfully followed his kundli. He chose computers for his post graduation when the only thing he knew about it was the spellings. He came out of the college armed with nothing but the confidence to be a technologist simply because he was too good in cooking up stories and cooking up he did. on how passionate he was about computers how deeply he was in love with the company whose placement drive he was attending how good looking the interviewer was and many more in no time he was the part of an indian it service company salary was good as his own knowledge about computers was but survive he did since he clearly knew that this was the best he could get there started his tryst with the it sector and for him one who had an alien to the world of computers it was just like pk's amir khan he crash landed with a thud and he realized he was an alien but just like pk learning bhojpuri he too learned the jargons and started speaking like a 916 techie he simply was a wolf in a sheep's skin here he will confess whatever he has done share whatever he has seen unearth everything he has witnessed and uncut underrated version of everything he has to say adventures of an indian techie note this guy is good at cooking up stories his memories 
are as reliable as an election manifesto. Chapter 1. The Relative Trouble I was at a family function, attending my dad-in-law's first cousin's niece's wedding. What a nice occasion! All those distant relatives you hardly know all around you whom you are expected to identify and interact with as if they are your closest ones. I met this elderly aunt. My wife proudly introduced me as a techie, walking in the techno park. That seemed to ring a bell. Aunt's face suddenly lit up. My nephew works there. His name is Rahul. You must know him, right? Now what did she mean by that? Was it a crime if I did not know this guy? And the name sounded very rare. One Rahul in the whole of Techno Park is worse than half a niddle in a dozen of hay stalks pulled together. How was I supposed to know this guy? I politely asked, which company in Techno Park does he work for? She suddenly became doubtful. Company within Techno Park was something she was not used to. She said, he works in Techno Park and he has been there for past seven years. He's in a very senior position now. Most of the people know him there. Now, this was tricky. There were more than 400 companies, almost 60,000 people working in different buildings, different teams and different companies there. I didn't even know 80% of the employees in my own company. But all this mumbo jumbo must have been an information overload for her. But one thing was for sure. Whosoever this Rahul was, he had created an aura of being a big shot within Technopark and admitting that I didn't know him might make my aunt feel that I was too junior and employed to know Rahul. My wife was looking at me expectantly, as if knowing Rahul could catapult me into a different league altogether. I could see the aunt's relative calling her to join them for lunch. But for some reason, she stayed put and kept looking at me. Her expression changed into a smile which I took to be sarcastic one. I realized that my reputation was at stake. I had to manage and escape somehow. My non-IT wife did not seem to understand my dilemma. I realized what it was to beat out of a confession from someone. I decided to take the safest route to maintain my credibility. I conjured up an expression of sudden recognition on my face and told her, Oh, Rahul, now I remember him. Yeah, he works in Techno Park. He is a senior employee. Yes, yes, I know him. You can never excuse me of lying. I can bet there are at least 100 or more Rahul in Technopark. Voila! That seemed to have done the trick. My wife and the aunt were suddenly smiling happily. Aunt had a see I told you kind of expression on her face. My wife had a see my hubby is not as useless as he looks expression. Never knew knowing Rahul could be so important. She said, Anyways, good to meet you. We'll tell Rahul about you. Take care, my dear. She joined her relatives for lunch. I heaved a huge sigh of relief. She joined her relatives for lunch and I heaved a huge sigh of relief. I looked around, but my wife was nowhere to be found. Suddenly, I heard her calling my name. I turned around to see her bringing a surely-looking uncle with her. Without much ado, he got into the point right away. Your wife tells me that you used to work for an IT company in Bangalore. Do you happen to know one Vijay there? Chapter 2. On Cytomania After surviving the two rounds of the relative interrogation, I finally made it to the dining hall. Settling in the seat, I took a look around 
and saw that I was boxed in between two uncles who were from my mother-in-law's army of relatives, or so I thought. The one who sat on my left seemed eager to start a conversation. I sensed the danger, whereas the right side looked safer, a smiling uncle who just kept smiling. Proving my intuitions right, the one on my left fired the first shot. Hey son, I hear you are in the techno park. Which company do you work for? Oops, the techie thing right again. I politely told him my company's name and then started attacking the starters placed on my plantain left. You know, my nephew Naween works in the techno park. Why did I get to travel the same route over and again? I knew that the next he was going to ask me is if I knew Naween. But no, it was a different punishment this time. He's in the US now. You know what? His company bears all the travel expenses. Whoa! A company bearing the expenses. Who else would do that? Was he out of his mind to go to the US on his own expenses and then work for the company? By the way, why don't you go to the US? Will your company bear the expenses? My company and I would bear anything if I could only escape from this place. I managed to wear a smile on my face and said, Yes, my company does that too, but I haven't got such a project till now. He replied with a sarcastic smile. His company chose him for this assignment. After all, he's an extremely talented boy. Oh, this was the next round of fire. According to him, companies chose their best employees and then send all of them to on-site just like that. I wished I could tell him that it all depends on the project. But I held back since I clearly knew all of these would be the bouncers for him. Without much ado, I took the first flight out. I said, yes, company has been asking me to go to the US, but I'm postponing that till the end of next year, probably after the next presidential elections. You might wonder why this election thing suddenly came into the picture. I said that just to add some weight to my own comment. He looked satisfied, but was in no mood to stop. You know, Naveen is a program manager. He supervises around 50 people. Okay, that was the big deal. I just nodded my head with a forced smile. What is your role, son? Oh my God, this was risky. I had to come up with a fancy designation. The word manager was the key. It had to sign pretty hi-fi, not just another software engineer. Uncle, I work as a system analysis development manager. Yeah, I manage my own system. It's analysis and operations. What else? Thankfully, before he could go further, the first round of the serving came to us. The heap of the boiled rice in front of him, along with the aroma of the delicious sambar, distracted his attention away from me. Rice and sambar finally saved my day. God save poor techies. Isn't it the high time to enforce a Protect Techie Reputation Act in this country? Chapter 3. Techie Nation What do you usually do when your computer breaks down? Call a technician? Yes, but when you have a poor techie like me staying next door, you want to save your money. Instead of calling a technician, you call the techie who according to you can fix anything even remotely resemble a computer. 
After all, that is why techies are techies. When the world around is swarming with the stray techies like me, I happen to be the only techie in my neighborhood. You think that's cool? No, never. Just imagine being called to your neighboring house for fixing the cartridges in the printer or fixing issues with the internet. Hack. I was once called by an auntie to fix her DVD player. In another incident, an uncle wanted me to write a new antivirus program that he could use for free. When I said I would not be able to do it, he asked me doubtfully, "But you are a programmer, right? Trouble is, I can never say no or I don't know. After all, I am a techie and I am supposed to write programs, fix computers and what not." One day I was invited to my neighbor Thomas uncle's house. Off late, uncle had taken a fascination to computers, to be more specific, towards Facebook. His favorite pastime these days was to post interesting comments on anything under the sun. This is the guy who once asked me this. I posted this in my FB account. How can I make it viral? What could I reply to such a question from a person? who hardly had 20 members on his friend list he mumbled sadly as if his closest one has passed away my computer is not doing well what does that mean is the computer down with fever without saying anything i started the computer uncle's desktop resembled a courtyard that hadn't been cleaned for the past couple of years i had a tough fight finding the computer icon Do you mean to say the PC is very slow? Uncle replied, "Yes, internet is very slow. Uncle, the system itself is a bit slow. Let me do something to do make it fast." I removed all the files on the desktop to a folder in the D drive. Then I opened the temporary folder and did a shift del to delete all the temporary files. Uncle looked suspicious. He suddenly asked, "Wait, What did you delete? Uncle, those are temporary files that are not required. He frowned. You mean you deleted my files? If not required, then why is it stored in that folder? Oh my god. What should I say? Uncle felt that I deleted some of his most valuable resources. I didn't think the usual reasoning would work. I took the safest route. I said, even if I delete them from here, they will be kept in a different location altogether but the system will perform better that hit the bull's eye he smiled and said oh i thought you have removed all those files okay dude getting riskier trend with caution next i opened up the internet explorer and did all the usual rituals deleting cookies clearing history etc thank god i could see the system became much faster I heaved a sigh of relief. I said proudly and in that overconfident techie tone, "Uncle, I've completed a very critical step, which have made your machine much faster. See, it's much better now." Uncle did not look convinced. He asked me to go to the website that tested the internet connection bandwidth. I saw a speedometer like the user interface that showed the number 1.7 on the screen. "See, I signed up for the 2 Mbps connection and all I'm getting is this. Where is the remaining 0.3 Mbps? He stared at me as if I had stolen his 0.3 Mbps. Okay. So this was the deal. 
He wanted to see the number two on the screen at any cost. System, browsers, temp, he didn't care and wouldn't stop till he saw the two on the screen. Now, what should I do? Better to take the first flight out. Cursing the one who gave the uncle this beautiful idea of checking the internet speed, I said, yeah, this is not right. I'm sure your computer is just fine. It's the internet provider that is taking you for a ride. You should call them and give them a piece of your mind. Uncle nodded his head furiously and said, Yes, I'm going to do that just now. Thanks, son, for your help. Mightily relieved. I was about to get up when he said, Anyways, just pull all of those temporary files back to where they were, so that whenever I need them, they're there. Oh, God. Why have you made me a techie? Chapter 4. The One Gram Techie I was at a family gathering, a ritual that happened every year. For me, this was one of those dreadful occasions during which I had to come face to face with my cousin brother. This guy, hailed as the brainest one in the family, was doing his PhD in IIT on God knows what subject. I think it had something to do with the mathematics. Even though he was not a techie, he shot hi-fi techie questions whenever I was around. It was not about learning something from me. After all, what could he learn from me, of all the people? He simply wanted to prove that I didn't deserve to be called a techie. As soon as I saw the toothy grin, I knew he was prepared to grill me. As usual, not even interested in small talk, a customary greeting and then the first bullet. Bro, what was your take on the adaptive security architecture? You know, Forbes has listed this as one among the top IT trends for this year. Adaptive security, blah, blah, my foot. Not fair, man. This guy didn't deserve to be alive. Brother, please understand, the word techie is too generic. It covers a wide range of people. Sundar Pichai is a techie, and so am I. But on the techie map, he lives in Jammu and Kashmir, whereas I am in Kanyakumari. And this guy was demanding authentic Kashmiri Pulau from a local vendor in Kanyakumari. I could see the curious faces looking at both of us. I knew the uncle and aunties around me were only Facebook and WhatsApp level tech savvy, nothing more. But the problem was, Mr. Brainy was asking a question. So they knew it had to be a very valid. I, a one gram techie, could not admit openly that I was a wolf in a sheep's skin. My reputation was again at stake. I conjured up a little bit of courage and replied, Yeah, very valid topic. In case of security, you can never say enough nowadays. Security architecture has to be flexible, responsive and proactive. Information assurance and intrusion detection are of utmost importance. Now, you may wonder what that was. I call this the mumbo-jumbo mode. The one that we, especially the one gram techies, resort to when we are at discussions wherein we don't know what is being talked about. I could sense admiring glances all around. But Mr. Brainy did not look so convinced. Without losing the advantage, I hit back. By the way, bro, how is your research coming along? I hear you've been doing exceedingly well. I was sure that he would take the bait. This was one guy who could never stop talking about himself and his research. There he started. A monologue on how he was going to prove a hundred-year-old mathematical theorem wrong. I was sure he was going to do an injustice to the man who formulated it. 
brother, show some respect to the dead people. Finally, when I was tired of nodding my head too many times, I cooked up a story about picking up a friend from the bus station and got up to leave. As I was about to step out, I hit another iceberg. This time, it was my uncle, Mr. Brainy's proud dad. If Brainy was Kalia, then this guy was Gabbar. Hey son, what happened in the IT industry? Has your company too started laying off people? Now this was the capital punishment for the poor techie. The L word. Dear media, why do you keep screaming at the top of your lungs that IT is in trouble? If you really want to publish it, please do that in those business generals which will be read only by the ones who are interested. Celebrating the L word in all the dailies is like grilling, drilling and barbecuing a poor techie's reputation. To save my skin, I nonchalantly delivered a sermon on how the Indian IT sector was about to weather the current storm. My lecture was salted with business jargons like value additions, innovations and peppered with techie jargons like digitalizations, automation, robotics, virtual augmented, real duplicated and whatnot realities. At the end of it, my uncle was clearly exhausted listening to what might have sounded like Greek to him. Before he could clear the smog that I created, I mumbled a quick goodbye and took a leave. After all, being a techie is never so easy, man. Chapter 5. Yes, boss. Hey guys, how are you doing? How's work? We, three of my teammates and I, were called for an urgent meeting with our boss. An initial pleasantly from his side was scary, as it gave us the sense of impeding doom. I replied that everything was fine and we were doing well. With a boss like him, a question on how we were doing was always meaningless. Dude, no one asked this question to a patient on his deathbed. As expected, he followed it up with the bad news. So no surprises there. There is an escalation from the client's side related to your work. The word escalation is just a polite way of saying that your client is mightily pissed off with you. You have to fix all the pending defects by today. Yeah. What was the big deal about it? After all, we had to do it. Who else? This guy, his only job was to make things difficult for us. The irony in the IT sector is that the techies are supervised mostly by the non-IT bosses. This is the IT version of the non-educated politicians supervising highly educated bureaucrats. We just nodded our heads in agreement. After all, we were quite familiar with two golden rules. Rule 1 your boss is always right. Rule two, whenever you feel otherwise, refer the rule one. He continued, you being the team lead, need to do an immediate RCA and submit a detailed report. Root cause analysis, a glorified term for the exercise of finding a scapegoat. I replied, but the reason is straightforward. We had to manage a two-week emergency leave for a critical team member. We were not able to find the right replacement on time. This affected the pace. He was in no mood to agree. No, I don't need verbal excuses. I need a detailed RCA that I can submit to the higher management. Oh yeah, there were people like him high up who just liked to play around with these toys made in Microsoft Excel or Word. This bunch of people never agrees anything until and unless this is presented in an Excel or PowerPoint, or at least in Word. You tell them that the sun rises in East, they will never agree. But if you come up with a solid PowerPoint presentation, 
or a detailed chart on the sun rising in the west, they will happily nod their heads in agreement. I wondered if this guy asked his kid to submit his school progress report in the Excel format. Then he started a 30-minute sermon on how important it was to stay late and complete the work. We realized what it was to be in front of the shooting squad with the guns ablaze. If only we could go back to our desks and continue to work. Finally, his monologue came to an end. You all got that? As always, we nodded our heads in agreement. We went back to our desks and worked our butts off to ensure that all the tasks were completed. Suddenly, it was 6 p.m. and as always, the boss was punctual to call it a day. As he was leaving, he told us, Guys, let me know if any help is required. Keep me posted. I felt like keeping him pasted to the floor forever so that he could never get up again. And calling this guy for help was like trying to disose fire with petrol. Anyways, good that we didn't have to bear his lectures anymore for the day. Finally, we were done with the last pending task. The time was 3 a.m. and we left the office extremely relieved. I went to bed at 4 a.m. As soon as my head hit the pillow, I fell asleep. At 8 a.m., I woke up with a start. My mobile was ringing. Without bothering to see who was calling, I brought the mobile to my ear and murmured a hello. Despite being terribly sleepy, I recognized that smooth yet irritating voice. Hello, good morning. A morning started, with this guy's call could never be so. Still, I managed to return the greeting. As always, I then waited for the bad news. Thank you for the wonderful work that you guys did yesterday. I always knew that you guys had a capacity to go an extra mile. As if we had a choice to do otherwise. Then he continued with not even an eot of remorse. I would also need the detailed defect density matrix and report for productivity and the utilization report for the past one month. Can you send those to me today? Oh God, if only I could wreck his neck and finish him once for all. Was this guy Hitler's reincarnation? Cursing the person who invented these fancy reports, I just mumbled a yes. Refer to the two golden rules. He was in no mood to stop. Oh, by the way, also send me the PPT, PowerPoint presentation, on the extra effort and the value additions that we had given to the client. Sure, I would also send my ECG, X-ray and MRI scanning reports along with these. Long live, my dear boss. Chapter 6. The Priceless Techie You have done exceedingly well last year. Keep it up. Just take a look at this and let me know what you feel. With this, my boss handed over my annual hike letter to me. Ah, an earth-shattering raise in my salary. Let the drum rolls begin. Hooray, my dear wife, as promised, I will buy you a set of cute diamond earrings. It might be costly, but who cares? After all, love is priceless. I opened the letter and found myself looking at the template response with figures printed at the bottom of the page. There was this local shop near my house. The owner was obviously not known for his mathematical abilities. If you told him you had one dosa and tea, he would immediately respond with the exact bill amount. Pure mental arithmetic and no proper printed bills, mind you. But if your calculation was a bit complex, like one dosa, three varas, one tea, one coffee, etc., his mental arithmetic would go for a toss. He would just stare at you, 
scratch his head and tell you the figure that could either be above or below the actual amount depending upon your luck as i looked at my height letter i had the same feeling the letter reminded me of the complex mathematical problems with so many variables i am not joking just think about it so many components and jargons hra da lta ctc gross pay special allowance bonus fixed pay variable pay fixed varied pay variable fixed pay and other deductions alternate deductions optional deductions and blah blah my head went spinning i looked at the hike percentage obviously i felt i deserved more as if reading my mind my boss said you know we are at par with the industry standard for this year's hike moreover your current salary is almost above the market rate for your experience so the current hike percentage is the best we can give you industry standards and market rate my foot if you want to know a tomato's market rate you just walk into a vegetable market and check how do these guys come up with the market rate for a techie do they have a techie market as well i don't know he made it seem as though it was a crime to draw a salary that was close or above the market rate should i give some money back so as to get a better hike are you happy he asked with a smile as if i had a choice of not being happy let me explain how we arrived at this percentage oh my god there he went to the whiteboard with the marker in hand this was one guy who loved drawing charts and graphs i seriously doubted if he was the one who kept adorning the service elevator walls with anatomical illustrations after drawing a pyramid curve triangle square and what not he started a lecture on how the percentage was calculated he started with individual performance factor then moved on to the business unit profit then domain growth vertical growth horizontal growth circular growth and god knows what else i even heard something like rafael loss or others scam i got fed up of this useless gyan i should have said i was happy about the hike that would have saved me the trouble after 15 minutes i could see multicolored 3d 4k projected stars around You got it right. Any doubts? If so, I'm more than happy to explain again. Oh no, please, not again. No, I'm good. Thank you very much for your help. As I walked back, I kept deliberating. How could I accept such gross injustice? My ex-colleague who had the same experience with another IT behemoth was earning almost double. Too much, man. I needed a change. Period. I opened up my resume even though the story mentioned in it was as old as the hills. I made it up by applying a bit of foundation cream, powder puffing and eyebrow correction. Just like every other news on the TV news channels is a breaking news. Every candidate on this planet as per their resume is hard working, possesses the positive attitude, best technical aurum, excellent communication skills and what not. When it comes to the list of technologies, it is like the grocery list with almost every technology listed in varying quantities. Such a resume would give even Chuck Norris or Thalaiva Rajni a run for his money. As I read my own resume, I could feel the goosebumps surgically attacking my entire body. Whoa, had I become this good? As I was about to send it to my ex-colleague, I got a call on my mobile from the very same guy. Speak of the devil. Hey dude, long time. What's up man? 
I started with the usual pleasantry, but I could not hear the usual enthusiasm in his voice. Before I could explain my situation to him, he told me, "Hey buddy, I am in a bit of trouble now. There are some challenges here related to the company's cost optimization and stabilization policy. Beside, I feel it's time for a change. I am sending you my resume. Please see if there are any matching openings there. Expected salary is negotiable. After all, it's not just about the money." Oops. What was that, man? His World Trade Center was about to be shattered by another September 11, and he was in the dire need of a shelter. Translated in the human language, his job was in the line of fire, and his high-priced techie was about to become the jobless techie. I might not have the World Trade Center that stood tall and was under constant risk of lightning bolt, but I at least had a grocery stall which was fully functional and was under no risk at least for now. After promising him to search for the opportunities, I hung up. I took a second look at my high salary. Just like the tea shop owner, I did a bit of mental arithmetic. Yes, when I compared this with my own paycheck 5 years ago, the one that was slimmer and trimmer than Shilpa Shetty, I realized I was doing pretty well. Out went the cute set of diamond earrings for my wifey. In came the cuter, cutest one gram gold earrings. After all, love is all about adjustments, man. Chapter seven: Jingle bells. Hey guys, we have a client visit in two weeks. Let us make it really special. It is at IT company. A client visit is almost like your first date. This is the time when you present yourself in your best possible avatar, trying anything and everything in the book to impress the person visiting you. The happier the visiting client is, the more chances you have in winning the deal. You present your infrastructure as if you're presenting the Taj Mahal itself. You present your team as if your team is the best test in the world of IT. The visit starts with a warm and most cordial reception. Then there is a boardroom presentation wherein your best presenters run the PowerPoint presentation that talk about the claims as tall as the Burj Khalifa. followed by the interactions with the team members who perform like over enthusiastic actors hamming it up to the hilt and finally a gift handover ceremony with the promises of bigger and better deals this time the visiting guy was the member from the client's office who was very eager to meet his team in person the guy was not the big shot at the client's office i would say he was the medium shot but still anyone from the client's office demanded a full fledged client visit protocol Everything went as per the plan till lunch time. The lunch was planned as the working lunch, glorified term for spitting out heavy business jargons while gogging on heavy food items. All the big shots along with the team of 5 had joined the lunch. The lunch was served in extra sensitive plates that glowed and shined like the newly polished piece of marble. I, who never found the art of chasing food with fork and spoon comfortable enough, did not want to take a risk of opting for the non-veg food or noodles. I went for the safest bet, veg fried rice and veg curry, which could be managed with the limited fork and spoon management skills. But my colleague did not have such reservations. He filled his plates with those big chicken pieces which were unfortunately not boneless. I was quite surprised at the confidence he showed. Dude, breaking into the fortress of bony chicken pieces with fork and knife demands some serious skills. 
I never knew my colleague was this good. But considering the confidence he had, I guessed he should be an expert at this. It is the time to start the lunch. Poor guys like my team member and I, obviously the odd ones out in the room, full of senior haunches. We thought it was better to leave the discussion part to the big shots, while our responsibilities comprised the following. 1. Having food. 2. Nodding our heads in assent to whatever the big shots were talking about. 3. Smiling as if we understood everything. It was all smooth. The big bosses were very good at the art of engaging the client. The client guy was equally good at creating the verbal smoke screens using the best jargons available in the market. But then it happened all of a sudden. They were discussing a mutual acquaintance in the world of IT business. The client mentioned the person's name and asked, "Does it ring a bell?" This was when the conversation was interrupted by a loud ting ringing sound as if answering the guy's question. Yes, the bell did ring. Everyone including me was shocked. We looked at the direction from where the sound originated. The sound came from my colleague's plate. In his attempt to break into the big chicken piece, his knife had slipped and hit the plate with the heavy ringing sound. Everyone in the room except this guy was stunned at this. But my colleague didn't even notice this. He proceeded nonchalantly as if nothing had happened. He continued fighting tooth and nail with the chicken pieces in his plate. To hide the embarrassment, one big boss continued talking, which diverted everybody's attention away from the colleague's plate. Things started progressing as per the plan, barring the first slip up when it happened again. This time, a louder ting. None of us looked in the direction of the sound because we realized that my colleague had proceeded to the next piece of the chicken. I was cursing him and hitting him on his leg to convey the message so that he would stop. but he didn't realize the big mess and was fully immersed in the mission chicken impossible he went on and on and it was like jingle bells jingle bells jingle all the way as we came to the dining room the client had the mr beanish look on his face while our big shots were whiter than the taj mahal the next day all of us my team members and i were enrolled for the dining ethics training by the behest of our big bosses In the training classes we were trained to have cutlets using fork and spoon. It was tough, but after numerous attempts we were able to master the art of cutting the pieces, balancing it on the edge of the fork and sending it to our mouths with no slip-ups whatsoever. Slowly we gained our confidence and I asked the trainer, "Okay, now we know how to have the cutlet. Could you please teach us how to have the pieces of chicken as well?" My trainer responded, "Guys, It's better to restrict yourself to the wedge food unless you're sure that the chicken pieces are boneless. Why take the unnecessary risks? Oh my god. From that day onwards, bony chicken pieces became the taboo during the working lunches. Chapter 8: The Casual Tea Chat. English is a funny language. It has got so many flavors that even English people won't understand most of them. British English, American English, Australian English and here in India even Indian English had got different varieties of English. Mumbai English, Delhi English, Kolkata English, UP English, Bihar English, South Indian English and many more. Just imagine having five different varieties of English on the same conference call. It's as melodious and soothing as the prime time news channel. For poor 1 gram techies like me 
A phone call with the customer from US or the UK was just like listening to the audio recording of the movie Interstellar. However, we used to manage most ill-timed responses. We also had a manager who had to play dumb charades during the call to make us understand what the customer was talking about. We, not visually or vocally challenged, but Englishly challenged ones, used to survive mostly because of these two factors. But one fine day, the news hit us like a rifle shot. John wants to meet his team. He's coming down for a visit. Our manager announced in a tone reminiscent of one used while informing about close one's death. For us, the news was scarier than all the Conjuring movies put together. Our manager was also scared because he clearly knew that Virat Kohli alone could not win matches. But managers are managers, not for nothing. They have a knack of making things messier than they are. Sergi became more confidently personified in a single day. The next day, he came to office with a facade of cheerfulness. Guys, I have a plan. Oh God, another one of those crazy ideas. Not sure whether he lost it when he became the manager or if he was promoted as a manager just because he was nuts. His brilliant plan was a detailed one. The first phase was to have us all Englishly challenged people go through a specific ethique training program on how to interact with a customer. The trainer taught us how to shake hands with the customer, as if we were certified knacks who didn't know how to shake hands. Team, when you shake hands, be careful. You should maintain eye contact, smile, then lean forward 20 degrees. The shake should come from the elbow. The forearm should remain firm. Remember, hands are anchored at the point between thumb and forefinger. Blah, blah, blah. This guy was either a kung fu master or an animal trainer in a circus. From that day onwards, I stopped shaking hands with anyone. Every time I tried to do that, I became so conscious about whether I was leaning 20 degrees or if my forearm remained firm. The person on the other side would throw a WTF look at me and then back his or her hand. The trainer continued with how to smile. Remember to lift your cheek muscle when smiling. Eyebrows should be engaged and slightly raised. Now you know, I had to stop smiling as well. Next was on the dining ethics. For us, whose idea of having food was just about grabbing anything edible in proximity with both bare hands, this was a different ball game. Ah, the classic clash with my arc rivals, the spoon, knife and fork. No matter how hard I tried, the pieces of food that I managed to capture on the tip of my fork seemed to have a life of their own. Every time I tried to balance them on the fork, they either slithered or slipped out of my grasp. Mostly into my own plate or sometimes into my neighbor's plate as well. Our managers felt more confident once we were back after our training, but we were zombified. The least we could do was to smile and shake hands. Even that became a challenge after the training. John specifically wants to have a casual chat with the team. Our managers proclaimed, Wonderful! For us, a casual chat with him was like singing a duet with Adolf Hitler. The second phase of the manager's plan was to have a team of three people sit with the client for three or four minutes during the dinner, then have a chat and once done, make way for the team of next three. This way, the whole team would be covered in five sets. Since only a short time was to be spent with each team, there would be less danger. The countdown started. 
As days passed by, my confidence level, which was already zero, went down further to negative points. I could not sleep the night before the day, since butterflies had called for the nationwide bund in my stomach. Nervousness shot up, and so did the sun on the day morning. There we were, in front of the office, to receive the DD himself. But to our surprise, John turned out to be a very jovial old man who looked like Dumbledore from the Harry Potter series. As soon as he came in, my manager asked him how his trip was. He replied smoothly, which I obviously did not understand. My manager and all the colleagues started laughing along with the client. I too laughed with them. Once it died down, I asked my colleague, "What was that all about?" He replied seriously, "I don't know." but he is a client and we are expected to behave proactively we proceeded to the meeting room for the usual rituals and then it went on everyone followed the plan to the t it went so smoothly that i had a serious hunch that something was about to get messed up soon finally it was the dinner time at the dining hall the wafting aroma of the sumptuous dinner welcomed us in i was so excited that i wanted to gorge on everything that was kept there Thankfully my colleague stopped me and reminded me of the dining ethics and the presence of the client. I controlled myself and let him lead me to the next seat of the old man. The poor man was too famished. He had taken a plateful of food and was about to take the first bite when we went and sat next to him. I started just as per the script. "Hi John, how's your visit? Do you like India?" He replied with a charming smile, "Well, it's great. Fantastic. Thank you guys." With the satisfaction of my job done and my colleagues, and I made way for the next three members to have a casual chat. As the old man was about to focus his attention back to the food, one of the new team members asked, "Hi John, you like this India? How's India?" Patiently he responds in the exactly same way. This time the smile wasn't as charming as the first one. Then again, he was about to start eating. The next team came and the next and the next. It went on. Only the characters changed. The questions remained the same. The charming smile usually became the painful grimace. Casual chat became the casualty for him. After repeating the same set of lines 10 times, he finally got the chance to take his first bite. It was then that his long delayed mission dinner was interrupted again by a smooth yet irritating voice. This time it was my manager who appeared with upheat. After the teams it was finally his turn for the casual chat. He started with his fake US accent. So John tell me how's the visit going? How's India? If there was a Nobel prize for patience I'm sure John would have win his hands down on it. Chapter 9 The Techy Revolution. Hey, how are you? How's the weather? These are the usual conversation starters for most of the human species. But we techies boost of a special vocabulary, the one that might sound like a jargon to the non-techy community but betrays a techy's root. Almost like Bahubali's Kelkaya Kilkili language. We speak the so-called techly language. Let us see what this is all about. What is the first thing that a techie say when we meet? How's work? Is the work hectic? The usual replies either it's okay, just going on, not sure for how long. Or oh my god, it's way too hectic, man. 
I have bursted my back working. Or even better, this is not working, man. I am looking out. Need to start my own business. There is no future in the IT. The person who made the last comment is still in the industry despite saying the same thing over and over for the past few years. This guy has inspired many to leave the comfort for a regular paycheck and go out in search of the grass on the other side. But the so-called Mr. Inspiration is still around enjoying the cool and comfy shades but keeps encouraging others to sweat it out. It's very rare to hear a techie say, Hey man, I am cool. Not much work today. I am enjoying it. It's rare than a Virat Kohli's golden duck for the techie to say, This is the job that I love and I want to be in this job and this company forever. For the non-techie community, the word release is mostly related to either a movie release or some notorious criminal getting released from prison. For techies, it's completely different. There was this manager whose knowledge about movie was equal to the knowledge about my artificial intelligence. Once a subordinate who was a movie freak told this manager, Hey, did you know that Mani Karnika is released? The immediate reply from the irate manager was, How could they release one person just like that? I clearly told them not to release any resources for now. I am in dire need of resources. By resources, he simply meant people. See, you're as valuable, as lifeless, like a fan or a table. You're not human, but just a resource. The guy was shocked. It took him some time to convince the manager that he was talking about a movie and not some resource. Next is the word delivery. For non-techies, this word is either related to the birth of a boy or a girl or something that has to do with the courier services. But in the usual tech-ly, we say, there is a delivery this week and I'm working hard for that. Imagine saying this to your uncle or aunt. They might wonder what is there to work so hard for when the delivery is this close? After all, the hard work needs to be put in much earlier, isn't it? I am in a pool now, a bit tensed. For a techie, this makes the perfect sense. Being in the talent pool simply means that you are not valuable to the company till the day you get a new project. For the non-techie, what is there to get tensed about being in the pool? After all, a swimming pool is where you get the chance to relax and enjoy. One evening, we were at our usual hangout, a cafe specialized in serving bad tea and mummified snacks. To make things even more interesting, they charge a fortune plus GST for these. You can't blame them after all, antique pieces are always expensive. By the way, we don't come here because of the quality of the food or the beverages served. All we want is a sip of a hot tea along with the latest office gossip while scanning the entire area for you know what. Suddenly, the chief gossip officer, CGO of our gang, barged in. He looked like he had just won a lottery. It was quite evident that he had the latest gossip to chew on. He sat near us and started downloading the info right away. We listened to him eagerly for the latest exclusive news feeds. He whispered in the conspirational tone, I heard that this is time. There is no variable pay. Our paychecks are divided into fixed and variable components. Variable pay is like an income from the mutual fund. You will get good money only if you are super lucky and it is dispersed only once in the year. Gasp of shock from all around satisfied him. This was one guy who loved bad news. If there was no bad news, he simply created it and spread it around like a noble service to the society. 
he proceeded with the next news bulletin hey you know mr big shot has not been to the office for quite some time they say he's been fired oops now that was shocking the big shot or shot big time finally in this industry the more you work the less valuable you become this is not fair they can't fire everybody like that there is a union of it employees coming up it's high time we have something like that piped our walking talking wikipedia this was one guy who ate up all the useless wiki information that was fine after all we had no problem with him driving himself crazy but he just polluted the environment by spreading such wiki info everywhere however this piece of info piqued my curiosity a union for it employees after all we needed someone to support poor souls like me as i walked back to the seat after a long coffee break my manager stared at me as if asking where the hell have you been my inner voice threw a punchline at him with a thundering background score hey hitler my allied army is about to be here to end your managerial dictatorship just remember that how would it be it might start as a single union for all the it workers but then just like every other political party they would split into separate unions for developers testers and even managers aiitma all india it managers association and aisda all india software developers association and i like that let us say one tester had logged in a bug for a developer the developer union will go on a strike at the behest of the developer in charge this will bring the entire development to a standstill only when the bug is rolled back the developer union will allow the normal service to resume for mere mortals a bug is a bug for techies a bug is a fancy term for the defect in the software see techly again on the other hand the tester union can go on a strike if they do not get the software to test as necessary even if there's nothing to test they might ask for gogging wages for just being there if a manager gives a union member a not so good rating the union might call off the company wide 12 hr hartal the hartal will exempt the mandatory service like the production support there will also be the state wide possession developer raksha yatra across the country to protect the poor developers from the managerial terrorism when the potential client walks in the union member will come chasing them down for the business if the client wants to do the business with the company that is not the part of the union then the sufficient gogging wages will need to be provided to the other union members it will go on like this till the day the things come up to an end in a deadlock the managers union will go on a strike accusing developers for saying that they have not developed as per the demands of the managers association the developers association in turn will go on a strike accusing the business analysts association has to not been given the input on time everybody will accuse everybody over whatever is done not done or about to be done finally things will come to a standstill where have you been till now in your last appraisal i have clearly mentioned this don't take too much time off otherwise you will end up with a low rating in your next appraisal my manager's threat woke me up from the revise where had the unions gone oh my god i was just dreaming i don't know if the unions will help or not but i know one thing if your manager is not happy with you it spells big trouble especially in the testing time 
I refer to the go- two golden related rules to the boss. Your boss is always right. Second, whatever you feel otherwise, refer to the rule one. With that, I mumbled a note of apology and continued working as if nothing had happened. Lokas mastha sukhino bhavantu. Chapter 10. The Bluff Mantra. Everybody is afraid of something. Some people are scared of spiders, a specific condition called arachnophobia. Some are afraid of heights, a condition called acrophobia. Like most of the gentlemen out there, I am afraid of a particular lady, a condition called marriage. So is she the black in my life? Nope. My scariest boogeyman award goes to the technical interviewers of the IT companies. Non-techie muggles might not understand this. But trust me, attending a technical interview is a harrowing experience. The anxious wait for your turn in the interview, once in, getting caught in front of two or more grumpy-looking people who look like dementors straight out of the Harry Potter books, like a warrior without a shield, taking the never-ending barrage of questions directed at you. Oh my god, when it comes to interviews, I've always been like deer caught in the headlights. You might argue that not all the interviewers are so serious. Yes, there are friendly interviewers as well who will only ask you what is required, the herbivorous interviewers. But these people are very rare. Most of them belong to the second category, the ones who will ask you anything about anything under the sun, moon, stars and literally anything. These are the carnivorous interviewers, the ones who are super aggressive. For them, an interview is lopsided duel wherein they can assert their position forcefully upon the hapless person being interviewed. You go in as fresh as a daisy and you come out zapped and zombified by these bloodthirsty ones. There is also a very interesting third category. These are the Rahul Dravids. No matter how high or low the ball is, the response will always be a dead bat. Whether your answer is right or wrong, their faces will be as expressive as that of Shad Zinegar and Stallone. Long ago, I had a tryst with such a person during one of my interviews. I was attending the technical interview for an IT company. As I walked in, my Lord Voldemort was sitting on a chair behind the table. He asked me to sit down. Just like an anti-smoking ad before every movie, every interview starts with the question, "Tell me something about yourself." This was my favorite question, the one that I would keep answering for an entire day. I started with my name, achievements, experience and education and then switched to my family details by then the interviewer went into the sleep mode you can't blame him though my story was as interesting as a history lecture as i was detailing technically about how i handled a very critical situation of my life with my midterm exams during my fifth standard voltmot suddenly woke up from his slumber and stopped me he said he would now ask me some technical questions this was the troubled waters for me When it comes to technical questions there's a limit to which you can cook up but what happened was just the tip of the iceberg it was only later that i realized i had to clear one round of the client's interview as well this was the formal term of getting grilled by the interviewer from the customer's office compared to this the first round was the child's play because this was the telephonic interview with a client who only spoke in the us accent For me, someone who never understood a Hollywood movie without subtitles, this was as promising as a head-on collision with the bullet train. With drum rolls playing Pepe Mendelez in my heart, I went into the meeting room for the interview. 
I had to dial twice to get the correct number because my hands and fingers were shaking like Shakira. As I joined, the guy on the other end said something. I just said hello and then it started. I tried all the tricks in the book. I ran out of stock phrases like pardon me, sorry, come again please. I didn't get you. But there was no respite. It was like listening to Greek, Latin, French and Italian all mixed and remixed. I came out of the interview just like a zombie with all my hopes vanishing into thin air. But my trouble had just started. I had another interview in two days time with yet another US client. Who said you can't die twice? Scared out of my wits, I reached out to my project manager. I told him, boss, I am fed up. I don't have the courage to go through all this again. He asked me to watch some Hollywood movies without subtitles so that I could get familiarized with the accent. What a fantastic resolution. Tiger balm to cure dengue fever. Still, I did so and watched two or three movies. In addition to these, I also watched some classic Indian action movies just to boost my confidence. But the result was still the same. Finally, the day had come. I marched into the meeting room like a judge who was about to issue a death penalty. But underneath all that pretense of the confidence, I was feeling like a person who was sentenced to death. The interview started with the usual pleasantries and questions. Thankfully, my manager was also in the same room acting as a mute spectator come translator. Since this was a telephonic discussion and not a video call, he could play the role of the fighter to the perfection. Then as the technical interview started, I lost the track. If the previous one was the Greek and Latin, this was Bahubali's Kekalea language. But my manager started writing the core point on the board kept in the discussion room. For example, if the question was, what do you know about the Indus Valley civilization? Obviously, this was not the question. The real question was a techie version of this. He would write the word Indus on the board. With that, I would talk for 15 or 20 minutes on every single Indus that I knew about. Indus Valley, Indus River, Indus Towers and even Indus Motors. In other words, for each shot, I used a dozen bullets when just one was required. But thankfully, one among the dozen bullets was serving its purpose. At the end of it, my interviewer was exhausted listening to my Wikipedia-like speeches. My manager was exhausted due to all the dumb Shiraz activity. And I was exhausted talking like Arnav Goswami for one hour straight. As for the results, you know what happened? I won it hands down. Moral of the story, you might not understand all the languages or accents in the world, but as long as you master the bluff mantra, the world is yours. Chapter 11. The Curious Cases of Techie Brains What have you done extra? I was sitting in front of my boss for the yearly appraisal meeting. The same age-old cannibalistic ritual that happens every year. You sit in front of your manager and come up with all the kinds of bluffs trying to prove that you have been outstanding. In truth, you might have just become a geo-customer, but during this meeting, you claim you have become Ambani's son-in-law. At the same time, your manager, whose BQ, bluff questioned, is exponentially higher than yours, counters all these bluffs with surprising agility. It's just like being up against Rajnikant in an on-screen fist fight. The boss asked again, what have you done extra? This guy who goes home at 6pm sharp while I break my back working till midnight, this guy who happily keeps forwarding escalations and tasks 
टू डू ई मेल्स टू मी वाइल आई एम एक्सपेक्ट टू रिजोल्व एवरी सिंगल वन ऑफ दैम सिंगल हैंडेड डे दिस गाय हु कीप्स प्लेइंग द फिडल वीना एंड तबला वाइल माई रोम बर्नस टू एशेज आस्ट मी दिस क्वेश्चन आई एक्सप्लेन पोलाइटली आई हैव नेवर I got appreciation from the customer for quality work. I even worked overtime to ensure the work was completed without any issue. He smiled and replied, "But that is exactly the expectation. You being the senior resource are expected to do all these." Oh my god. Was this guy Dracula version 2.0? He continued, "I don't see any innovation from your side. You were only focused on your daily deliverables. Why didn't you innovate?" Oops! If I was not focused on my daily work, who else would have done that? By mentioning that would make no difference. After all, there was no point in talking back to a radio. These days, the word innovation has become so glitched in business. According to the latest study by the Useless and Clueless Statistic University, the number of times the word innovation is used in a corporate company is equal to the number of times the word dil and pagal are used in Hindi film songs. I wore my best diplomatic smile and said, "But I did not get such an opportunity." Oh, opportunities never come calling, my dear friend. You have to chase them down. There he went with the Robin Sharma style sermon for the next fifteen minutes. After uploading me with the barrage of quotes, he told me, "Hey, we have this business problem that we have from the customer. Why don't you form a team and come up with a POC? POC is the proof of concept." the fancy term for coming up with the demo version or the very basic workable model based on the new idea this was why he was the boss i raised a concern he smoked my concern point blank and barbecued it with additional work and then bestowed upon me so that he could make me do it he was about to deliver his next you can win speech i mumbled a thank you and escaped the room i read through the problem statements and quickly realized that this was not my cup of tea I needed all the Christopher Nolans of my company to solve this problem for me and build a POC around it. These are the 916 techies, the geeky brand who are the uncut diamonds of the techie world. They are for sure priceless, but getting something worthwhile out of them is as easy as breaking a coconut with bare hands. After getting recommendations from very high up, I managed to get two from our AGCA, All Company Geek Association. double the impact double the trouble these geeks are like male lions in the forest they don't like the presence of another one in the same vicinity still i called them for a meeting to decide the action plan as the meeting started i became tense i knew these two big brains never saw eye to eye it was like having trump and king john un in the same meeting and making them sign a mutual nuclear disarmament treaty With the persistence of confidence I set the context and then summarized so the problem we have in hand is how to pluck the fruit on the tree with minimal manual effort you might wonder what kind of a business problem is this but trust me the real business problem is something that even i haven't understood after all this time see in our industry it's not about understanding everything it's just about behaving as if you understood everything Geek one fired the first solvo. Well, before coming to the solution, we need to decide what fruit goes on this particular tree. We need to go detailed analysis and see if the fruit is mango or coconut. Considering all the scenarios and applying the probability concepts, 
I strongly think and agree that the fruit we need to pluck is not coconut but a mango. Oh my god, that was the trigger for the second geek to join in. Geek 2. Who happened to be the hypermarket of sarcasm hit back. Mango? You say you applied probability? Come on man, have you heard of conditional probability and bias theorem? A mango can never grow on such a tree. It's a coconut, I'm sure. Then it started, the clash of titans. While they attacked each other with the weapons like probability, graph theory, geometry, astrology, I, the mere mortal, stayed dumbfounded. When I got some breathing space, I tried to interrupt them, but friends, our problem is to pluck the fruit regardless of what fruit it is. Shall we decide how can we do that? The guru stopped for a moment and stared at me. At that moment I saw Tom and Jerry joining hands to shoot me down as if they had a common enemy in me. Come on man, how can you think of plucking it without even knowing what it is? See, this is the problem with short-term vision. We need to have a long-term solution, man. In their language, long-term solution was something that could be formed only in long term. It went on and on and finally as the time was up, Both geeks and I agreed on one and only one thing, the next meeting date. The client had plucked the fruit and had it for his dinner long ago. The client had solved the problem on his own, but we, being so perseverant, still kept discussing with these geeks to decide on what fruit grew on that particular tree. Now I know why innovations are so hard to come by. People who know the business do not have the technical knowledge. people who have the technical knowledge do not know about the business and they never even make an effort to learn the business people who have both do not have time to do the actual work because they are always busy people who do not have both keep bluffing around people who work hard just keep working or whatever they are asked to do no doubt a creator went completely wrong with his permutation and combinations when he did the final wiring of the techie brains or was it intentional chapter 12 motivation private limited you have it in you to be the superstar in your career you have it in you to make it big i was attending this corporate motivational training program at the behest of my manager who believed i didn't have the enough drive to go an extra mile leave aside the extra mile with my current paycheck it was even a wonder that i was running the normal mile after all You cannot expect the 2 lakh nano to run like a 50 lakh mercedes but him being the manager i didn't have any other option but to attend the meeting the trainer was a well known motivational trainer who had been in the motivation business ever since he was pink slipped from his previous job he thrived on serving motivation at both retail and wholesale rates motivational capsules motivational antibiotics motivational syrups You name it and our motivational mega star had it all in ready to serve format. He continued, "Let us find out that one big challenge that stops you from achieving true greatness. I want you to come forward and write one challenge that you find to be your biggest enemy." I went first and wrote the same thing that my manager told me. Lack of drive to go the extra mile. Since the room was full of experts, bluff master, the board was full in no time. lack of drive lack of motivation lack of inspiration lack of vision what was this cataract or something and so on the trainer started again see 
you have identified all the problems that have been haunting you don't you want to know how can you overcome these challenges oh i was excited yes there it was the magic mantra that would solve all our problems come on but there was a twist in the tale the guruji said i want you to drive yourself into the groups and brainstorm on how you can resolve these problems yes you can do it come on i realized one thing suddenly at motivational incorporation it was just like ordering tea at five star hotel you get milk sugar hot water and tea bags separately and you're supposed to make tea yourself by paying a bomb plus gst for it the previous writing on the board exercise restarted with the second board and the list of solutions from our side the solutions were just like the ones you read in the ladies magazine if you have itching keep itching till the itching stops if you have hair fall shave your head and the hair fall will stop some sample solutions were lack of motivation find a source of inspiration from around and focus on that one thing that takes you forward lack of communication be confident lack of innovative thinking don't fear failure and go for the success yeah everyone knows this it's just like when a batsman goes out to bat and you're telling him hey don't get out score only boundaries and sixes he already knows it the question is how can he do it when the opposition bowlers are breathing fire finally a motivational honcho said now you have identified all your problems you've also come up with some fantastic solutions for all these challenges will you go back and practice these in your daily lives as if in the trance everyone except me responded yes yes we will we will i was baffled on our way out i checked with my colleague who seemed so impressed with the training hey buddy see who wrote the problems who wrote the solutions what was he doing man he replied in a very serious tone he was facilitating oh so this was facilitating excellent man i love this job of facilitation meanwhile i also checked how much this trainer was earning for facilitation it was then i realized that while i was earning peanuts he was earning cashew nuts whatever the motivation that was left in me left me completely that precise moment it was then i decided that i had to be in the facilitation business these guys are like uber or ola without buying cars for themselves they run the taxi businesses whereas guys like a motivational big shot self motivation even though they don't have of their own the very next morning i was in the kitchen with my wife usually i'm supposed to help my wife with cleaning the dishes cutting the vegetables grating coconut and cooking don't ask me what my wife does in the kitchen with me doing almost everything married men will understand with the training hangover i walked into the kitchen that day instead of grating coconut i sat on the chair and started speaking mimicking the trainer come on dear you have it in you grate coconut perfectly show the world what are you capable of come on will you do that i was facilitating i was trying to motivate her to go the extra mile i expected her to reply yes i will I don't know whether she got motivated or not but I know one thing for sure the traditional coconut grater is pretty heavy man it still hurts long live motivational trainers chapter 13 jargonology hey john i'm sherlock holmes i head the innovation compartmentalization streamlining across various delivery units 
Hello, I'm Bond, James Bond. I lead the digitalization advantage, enablement and enhancement for existing and non-existing businesses. I was shaken and stirred. Why couldn't these guys speak English? Something which mere mortals like me would understand. I was inside the meeting room attending a high-profile client meeting. I happened to sit next to two boardroom legends, the certified jargonologists, who spoke a different language altogether. Once the two big shots had given themselves a rather punchy introduction, it was my turn. How could I do this? I should sound like pretty heroic. I couldn't just say that I was a software engineer. After all, India is probably the only country wherein the total number of engineers exceed the number of vehicles on its roads. Using the very limited set of jargons I had in hand and putting on my best accent, natural as a fairness cream, I came up with this. I am Basha, Manik Basha. I manage coordination and execution of the entire development operations from offshore for two major LOBs. I knew this was just a pistol shot in front of an AK-47 and bazooka, but still I managed to make them feel like I was an upcoming terror. I saw one of the big shots taking a sideways glance at me. With introductions over, the discussion mode was on. For me, it was like Ramanan Sagar's Ramayan Reloaded. The customer sent an arrow in our direction. Our jargonologists countered it with an even more powerful arrow. I played the role of the cheerleader by smiling and nodding my head in appreciation for every big shot. As I drenched in the shower of jargons, I tried to keep the note of most of it, at least what I could make out of this whole cacophony. Being a buddy jargonologist, I was sure these would be useful someday. Paradigm shift, collimate rate, leverage, portfolio, process reengineering. Reinviting the wheel, moving the needle, ROI, B2B. Oh God, I got this much only, but trust me, this was only a teaser. What I witnessed on the ground was full movie, that too in 3D. It was not just about jargons. Jargonologists never use the normal adjectives. Good work, we are happy, are all the part of normal conversation. In jargonified mode, these are terrific efforts. We are incredibly delighted. See, it's indeed a game of extremes. If you are a wannabe jargonologist, throw these so-called normal words out of your dictionary. Out goes the market replacement agreement learning, excel sheets, and in comes vertical backfilling buy-in upskilling mattresses. If you want to sound like a big shot, you ought to jargonify yourself. Whenever you are in high-profile meetings, this is a must. If you are in a discussion wherein you don't know what to talk, switch to J mode to hide your ignorance, all the while confusing your listeners. For managers, this is a must as it will help you confusing your team members while doing their appraisal meetings so that they don't ask too many questions. If you look at the written down comments after the yearly appraise, some of them are like this. Even though I acquiesce with your comment, a proactivity towards an often reactive approach and some intractable deliveries related implements resulted in the lack of certitude. The last one is not jargonology. This is thurification. If jargonology is 6 months jail sentence, thurification is capital punishment. Only if the other person is your slaughter enemy, go for the thurification. Now let us look at the jargonologist JD. JD job description C another jargon booming voice must have a commanding punch good to have 
white collection of business jargons must have unlimited vocabulary of turbocharged adjectives must have tremendous terrific fantabulous and incredible are some basic ones bold head good to have yes in boardrooms bold is beautiful if you possess at least 3 of the above mentioned ones here's the good news you indeed have the potential to become the true blue boardroom legend now all you need to do is practice by the way i need a paradigm shift shall we leverage the drinkable infrastructures roughly translated to human language i need a break shall we get some coffee about the author Nipun Marma is a wannabe writer masquerading as an IT professional for the past 16 years an avid public speaker movie fanatic voracious reader stand-up comedian part-time actor and social worker he's a classic case of jack of all trades master of none known for his witty tongue and humorous writing it is no wonder that his debut novel sounds just like him his short stories and essays have won numerous prizes in various creative writing competitions Nipun called himself a 916 mullu. He hails from Viacom, a town in outskirts of Kottayam, district in Kerala. He lives with his parents, wife Samaja and two kids, Maithili and Ankit.